0: following message is from Narrative Church, a Lutheran church located in Williamson County, Texas. For more information, go to www.narrative.church. Let's pray real quick as we dive into the Lord's Word. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks this morning that we can be here, that we can follow after you. Uh, Lord, we ask that, um, well, I ask as I preach that this word I get to preach this morning would be impactful, Lord, not just um, on our lives, but in, in our communities, and our community here is a church. Lord, we pray this on your son, Jesus' name, amen. So again, we're going to be in Mark chapter 5, if you've got a Bible or your app go ahead and open to there. But, but I want to start off asking, what's that feeling of waiting? Have you ever lived in that moment? Maybe it's, it's a big movie opening, right? It's the movie you've been waiting for. And I realized as I was writing my sermon, something that doesn't exist anymore is like waiting outside a movie theater to get tickets Or literally waiting outside the theater to get the best seats. Like we live in a very blessed time where you can do all of that online. I still remember going to see the first Lord of the Rings, and it was within the first um, week of it coming out. So it's the Fellowship of the Ring. My dad is a huge Tolkien nerd. We're going to see this movie. Um, and it was a bunch of people from church, and they always came out in December. So it was a lot of our friends from church. Dad had gotten some folks together, and so we're all standing in a line outside of the movie theater, which now it's like, you know, Alamo Drafthouse has eliminated that. You've got your seats, you've got your food, you don't even have to wait at the concession stand. But here we are waiting, and I remember because Josh Hower was our intern pastor that year, and Josh was like he was probably like six, five, but it felt like seven, eight, right? Just a towering guy. He played basketball at the seminary, and so he was spending a year at our church interning before he went back to seminary to finish school and then go on to his call as a pastor. And I remember there were a couple of families behind Josh, and he was the front in like the front of the line, and they pull up you know the the, the little, whatever it is, that line blocker thing. There's probably a real name for it, but today it's that. But so they lift it out so that they can go, and someone whispers behind Josh, one of the dads of one of the families, and goes, Josh, they're running. And Josh hears that and thinks, I got to get our seats. And he takes off into the movie theater, just as a lightning bolt, gets in and has positioned himself like he is guarding in the paint, playing basketball, guarding the most precious seats in that like middle section of the movie theater. And he has dropped down and extended himself both ways to try and figure out how he can block that many seats. And here come the rest of us just walking around the corner and the dad who said it just dying laughing because Josh has run up and held this spot. But I I remember doing that. I remember waiting outside movie theaters for tickets. The last one, I remember, I went and saw one of the Iron Man before somebody's wedding. It was kind of what the bachelor um, party was. We all went and saw one of the Iron Man movies, and it was a midnight showing, and I remember falling asleep, and I'm like, all right, 23. That's how old I am to stop going to midnight showings and movies. But there was kind of that extended feeling, right? And have you had that before? You're looking forward to a vacation maybe. You're looking forward to, um, you know, an amusement park ride. Like you've stood in line for five hours to ride whatever it is you're about to ride. And you've had that anticipation of waiting. But how many times do we have a waiting feeling that's anchored in fear? Where we're waiting and what we're waiting on is the news from a medical test for ourselves or a loved one. There's a big difference between I'm waiting to go see Avengers and I'm waiting to hear what the biopsy's gonna say. There's a big difference in waiting when you're saying I'm so excited, we're finally taking that vacation to fill in the blank mountains, beach, amusement park, and saying we're just waiting to see if we have enough money to cover all the bills this month. There's a big difference in waiting when we're looking and saying, there's that friend I haven't seen in so long, and the difference in waiting to say, I haven't heard from that friend. I wonder if this relationship is still here. It's very different to make plans and look forward to them and be excited to run into a pandemic and all of a sudden every plan we have has changed over the last several years. Plans we had for how our life was going to go, how promotions were going to go, how schooling was going to go, how college was going to go, and it's all just waiting to see what's going to happen. Now, my gift to Briley this morning was the original reading was basically all of Mark 5, and I looked at it and I said, That's a lot. (laughs) So what you heard and what we read this morning from Mark five is the story of Jairus, who is the um, the head of this synagogue. But let's let's kind of see where Jesus was going as we look at what does waiting look like. What does hope in waiting look like? So Jesus, um, he's on. This is the Sea of Galilee, in the midst of Israel. So there's this big lake, we call it the Sea of Galilee, it's right there in the middle. And what he has done in just the latest chapter, if you see this little orange arrow there, he's gone down from Capernaum, down into this area where he has gone in to preach and teach, and it's a Gentile area, and this is a spot where he goes, and if you know the story, he drives um, a legion of demons into a bunch of pigs, and they run and drown themselves in the sea. And I'll give you a little plug if you want to follow along and read the book of Mark with us up until Easter. I'm doing little devotions throughout the week. We talked to, we, I, me staring at a camera, you'll love it, I promise, um, talked about this this whole process of what Jesus was doing when he did that. But he's gone and done that, and now he's returned back to Capernaum, which is where he's from, this area that he has come from This is kind of his old stomping grounds. And so he is there, and he is preaching, and he's teaching. And what happens is as he's preaching and teaching, crowds would gather around him. And as the crowds gather, there's a man named Jairus who sees him and runs up to him. And Jairus was a leader in the synagogue of Capernaum. This is what that looks like today. So we still have this synagogue and the ruins of the synagogue in Capernaum. We still have the ruins of the synagogue in Capernaum somewhere. There's a picture. There it is, the synagogue, the ruins of the synagogue in Capernaum. So this was a physical place, right? This is where people came to worship. Now, the way it worked was for the big holidays, for the places and times you needed to sacrifice, you had to go to Jerusalem to the temple, But just kind of your weekly stuff, your readings, your time in the psalm, gathering together, would happen in the local synagogue. So the synagogue in Capernaum, there's this leader named Jairus. Now this is interesting because a leader in the synagogue would have been someone who knew their scriptures, knew what was going on. But also would have been connected with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the ones who continually attack and go after Jesus. But here is this man at the end of his rope that his daughter is sick, and so he runs to find Jesus. This man who he knows is a good teacher, who he has heard is doing miracles and runs to him because he needs a miracle for his daughter. And so he runs to her, to him, for her. And he meets Jesus and explains the situation. And now we know that where Jesus goes, there's crowds. There's probably some Pharisees and Sadducees along the edges trying to figure out what to do to him. So Jairus showing up is putting himself in a precarious position, not only because he's running and saying, I need a miracle and you're the one to do it, but he's confessing to say you have the power, which is going to probably anger some of the people in his synagogue. But he shows up and Jesus with compassion says, yes, let's go to your daughter. Now imagine where a father is that he has run to find a faith healer because nothing else has worked. Imagine that anxiety, that fear that he has waited for so long for her to be healed. And now here is Jesus in his town. He goes to find him and Jesus says, yes, I'll come. Let's go find your daughter. Now, it says a crowd began to throng around him. Again, Jesus, where he goes, crowds form. They have heard about all of these things that he's doing. But as they go, something happens. And this is Mark chapter 5, and we're reading the in-between of what happened. So we're starting here in verse 24. And he, Jesus, went with him. Jairus and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but had rather grew worse she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up from behind him in the crowd and touched his garment for she said if I touch even his garments I will be made well. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and said the truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. So in the midst of what's going on, in the midst of Jairus coming for his daughter, this crowd throngs around Jesus. And in it, there is one woman who has been waiting. She's been suffering. And so she has had this medical issue. She's gone to many doctors. No one can help her. And this issue is one that would have made her unclean in the midst of Jewish tradition and law. So not only is she dealing with a physical ailment, she is dealing with disconnection from community. And so she's struggling with that. She has paid all that she's had, and not only has she paid it to these physicians, but also she has suffered through it. And she looks and she says, here comes Jesus. And then she thinks, if only I can touch him. And this is actually a verse I've taught on a couple of times Because this idea where she gets this of, oh, if only I can touch him. There's a verse from Malachi 4. Do I have that, Will? Perfect. Um, And it says, but you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. And you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. So focusing on the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. This belief had built up that the Messiah, the one who was to come, would have this healing in his wings. And the very physical idea was that the Jewish prayer shawl had these tassels on it. And one of these tassels on each side was called the tzitzi, the wings of the shawl. And so this woman reaches out, believing only in this little piece of there is healing in his wings. She has waited and longed to be healed, to be back in community, and she looks at Jesus, and what's insane is in this story, we have this moment that I love, because anytime the disciples are stupid, I love it, because I'm stupid, and so I just connect so deeply whenever they say something foolish, right? And so here's Jesus, who they know, they've been around, he's like, calm storms. Within the past couple of days, he drove demons into pigs, right? Like they were there for that. And he turns around and goes, someone touched me. And they're like, Jesus, like we got to keep moving. What do you mean someone touched you? Like this is, you know, this is Super Bowl level walking into the gates here. Like thousands of people are touching you. And they don't trust that Jesus The guy who stood up to a storm and said, peace be still, like, I'd pay attention and go, ah, this dude probably knows what's going on. I'm just, you know, throw away the key. If he says something, I'm not going to argue with it. But I love that because you know what I would, I'd be that guy, 100%. That would be me, super extroverted, and looking for a little bit of comedy in the midst of it and going like, Jesus, you're just being foolish. Who touched you? Come on. Trying to get John over here to laugh at some little joke. But so Jesus says this, and the disciples are like, "Jesus, what are you talking about?" But see what's fascinating here is that Jesus heals someone. He didn't even like focus on it. It just happened. So does that mean if we could find Jesus' prayer shawl today, we could straight up like Indiana Jones it, you know, you know, we grab it, we put it on people, they're healed. No, no, no. This isn't like some relic that is healing people. This is faith connected with trust, connected with confession. That what happens is this woman, in her waiting, does not lose hope that the Messiah is present. That when we read in Mark 1 where he says the kingdom of God is at hand, he's saying you can reach out and touch it because the kingdom is where the king is. And this woman, not knowing or having been there or us not having an example of her being around and hearing that, she enacts that by reaching out to touch him, by trusting in this verse from Malachi, She is confessing that he is the Messiah, the chosen one sent to redeem the world. So then when we look a little further down here in this end of this story, when she comes forward and she says, it was me, she knows because she can feel that healing and she is worried She's worried this teacher is going to rebuke her, is going to attack her. And Jesus, in compassion, says, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. That's verse 34. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. So we have this wonderful moment where Jesus heals a woman. He stops, he looks, and it is faith that in her waiting there is hope. She has waited for years, and now here is her hope. But something else is going on while Jesus stops because he was walking with purpose with Jairus to go and heal His daughter. And so he stops, and as he stops, this is what happens. While he was still speaking, Jesus, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? And Jesus said, Do not fear, only believe. They show up at the house, and many people are weeping and wailing. They are mourning the loss of Jairus' daughter. And he comes in and he says, this here is in verse 39. And when he entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him. And he went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. Jesus stops to help this woman, to proclaim what her faith has done, her hope in the waiting. But he hasn't forgotten about Jairus' daughter. So when the servant comes and says, no, your daughter is dead, Jesus isn't worried. He goes, no, let's go. Let's do this and he follows, and he looks at this girl, and this, this word of sleeping, we're not exactly sure what Jesus is meaning by this. There are a couple different ways you could take it. Maybe she was in a coma, which would have been a hard thing, you know, back then to try and work through what's death, what's sleeping. Um, you know, there's also, we see in scripture, those who fall asleep in Christ, which is the death waiting until the resurrection. But what we know is this girl was unresponsive. No one could do anything they presumed her dead and jesus just walks up to her and goes little girl arise and she stands up and there's amazement people had been laughing at him as he walked in but he wasn't afraid and he provided hope for jairus his wife and their family in the waiting and i love that he says yeah and then get her something to eat why This ain't a ghost. This isn't me bringing you some specter that I have pulled from another realm. This is a flesh and bone person. So when she eats, you're going to see that what I have done is actually true. Have you ever been in that place where you've been waiting for a response from the Lord, where something has sat on your heart And it seems like he's distracted. Could you imagine how Jairus is feeling? He's finally found Jesus. Not only has he found him, Jesus says, Yes, let's go now. And he says, We're on the way. And there's that hope there that things are moving forward. And then he stops to heal someone else. If I were Jairus, I would be saying, That's that's for my daughter. Don't stop now. We got to go. And could you imagine the, con- the confliction that Jairus is feeling when now here comes one of his servants and they say, your daughter is dead, and he, the teacher was here. We were almost there, and Jesus says, don't worry. I'm coming. Let's keep going. I've realized in my own life that there's waiting on a lot of things. There's waiting on things that feel important right now but may not truly be. I had to replace a water heater this week. I was waiting, hoping that I wouldn't have to, but you know, you got to do what you got to do. So there's that waiting in those things that feel frustrating but foolish. But then there's waiting in the midst of the heavy things. What I love about these stories is that there is always hope. I don't know what Jesus is teaching in your waiting. I don't know what he is bringing on the other side of it. But my encouragement this morning is as you look at this woman who suffered for years, as you look at Jairus immediately concerned about the life of his daughter. Trust that there is hope in the waiting. Sometimes that hope is the answer to prayer that you've longed for. It's that answer to prayer that you can you, you can stand up and say. Only by the grace of God has this happened. There's nothing I could have done. But sometimes it's the hope that is found in saying, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But my challenge to us is to live not in despair, but in hope. Because hope can span the gamut. Hope can be joyful and excited, but hope can also be sorrowful and disappointed. Because here's the ultimate hope from Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 8. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character Produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given it to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Suffering produces character. Character produces hope. And why does it produce hope? Because at just the right time, in the midst of the waiting of the world, that in the fall that happens in Genesis 3, when sin breaks in and ruins everything, the world has been waiting With bated breath. So, at just the right time, not when we were better, not when we had it together, not when we had enough faith, but at just the right time, while we were weak, Christ died for the ungodly. Our hope is not in that God will answer every prayer in the way we want, our hope is not that it'll all turn out how we think it will. Our hope is that over it all rules the king who says, I have given you what you need. That in the good times and in the bad, when you see the healing, when you reach out in faith and the healing happens, when that answer to prayer comes, there is hope. Or when you feel like I'm stalling and you receive the worst news you thought you could receive. I am still king over sin, death, and the devil, and there is an eternal life to come where there will be no more weeping and no more suffering. But the gift God gives us is that in our waiting, that suffering produces character, and character produces hope. Because none of it is put to the side. None of it is wasted. Because Christ died for us. That whether whether it is the long prayer that comes answered or the rush and the urgent that seems immediately unanswered, we trust in the hope of the Lord. As I wrote that sermon this week, it really was one of those places that at the end of the day, there's a hidden God and a revealed God. And I can bring you his word and tell you what he tells us. But that hiddenness in your life where we can't see exactly how God is working through the heartache you're experiencing, what I'd encourage you to do is hope. Because there is a Savior who has died for you to walk with you until it is revealed of the joy of the hope in the waiting. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks. We give you praise. We ask that you would continually teach us what it means to hope in you. Lord, in our lives, the things that uh, we see, the answer to prayer, we rejoice. And Lord, in those things where we are waiting, let us rest in the promise that you have redeemed us and suffering produces character which produces hope. Lord, let us not live as people in hopelessness, but instead let us rejoice as people of hope. In your son Jesus' name, amen.